Hey everyone, Dane here. Uh, this episode was recorded shortly before Holland Frazier's mother, Jan Beasley, who was the co-founder of AGCI, um, before she passed away suddenly after a short battle with an unknown respiratory illness. Jan's deep faith and obedience to God's call led her to dedicate her life to serving orphaned and vulnerable children. Without her faithfulness, AGCI would not exist. So now let's listen in as Maddie and Holland talk about Holland's experience with AGCI from the very beginning. If ever there's a mountaintop moment in my life, that was it. Because I remember driving home that day in my car, just tears streaming down my eyes and just going, if like all the worry, all the uncertainty, if God can clearly speak to someone I don't even know to call and and support AGCI like that, then where is, you know, faith like a mustard seed? You're listening to Together by AGCI. I'm Maddie Salvati. I am so excited to introduce a very special guest today. We have Holland Frazier. She is the president of All God's Children International. And Holland, we're so glad to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you, Maddie. <laughs> I'm so excited that you invited me to join you for this special time to talk about AGCI. Awesome. Well, we're just going to kind of get right into it. Thank you again for being here and just taking the time to have a conversation. Um, we're so appreciative and excited about this. Um, I'd love just to kind of go through and capture the magnitude of all AGCI has been up to recently because it's been there's been so much in the last couple of years, which is incredibly exciting. Um, and I think the best way to do that is just through storytelling. And you have an incredible story that I'm sure everyone would want to hear. So maybe we could just start there. Yeah, it's you know, it's um, when I look back on the last 24 years that I've been a part of All God's Children, it is really neat to see how God's plans are not always our own plans in life. So if I go back to the beginning of my journey with All God's Children, I would have to say probably one of the most impactful points in my life and really putting me on this path and direction of serving vulnerable children and families was when I was 18, I had the opportunity to travel to the country of Bulgaria. And I just, I'll never forget walking into that very first government institution where there was a room just full of kids, like Mm -hmm. from kind of floor to ceiling, over 60 kids. And I remember walking into that room and it wasn't the smell and the despair on their faces. It was the silence in that room with so many children under the age of two. And I remember thinking, this has to be like what despair actually looks like. If if you were to walk into a room and, and see what just the ultimate sadness is. For me, that was that was it. And so coming home from that trip um, really put me on this path of wor- working and eventually joining All God's Children, um, which at that time I think was the secretary um, back in those days. And I've just had such a, a privilege and joy of getting to wear so many hats at AGCI. So coming back from Bulgaria really is when God started working on my heart Mm -hmm. to um, really start kind of taking it from what I thought my path and journey would be to aligning it more with what his path and journey was for my Mm -hmm. life. 
Um, so I think it was about 20 when I joined my family wow. at All God's Children. Um, at that point, I think I was like the administrative assistant. Okay. And before that, can you just let me know how long that already had been happening in your family? Like how long they'd been a part of it? Yeah. So at that point, when I was 20, All God's Children actually was founded mm -hmm. through the adoption of my little sister, Hannah, mm -hmm. um, when I was 14 years old. Right. And okay. so um, it was probably about six years in. Okay. And being a a child at that time as all God's children was forming and um yeah just kind of seeing the impact it was having on on my family but then still having my hopes and dreams or what I thought they would be um going more of an education path um yeah to see how God kind of wrapped that back um in my 20s yeah. to align with um really his calling on my my parents and sister at that time mm -hmm. is neat to see with that, um, just with that whole creation story intact too, how do you think that shaped your, or I guess AGCI's mission and goals moving forward and from where maybe they started in the past? What's probably really neat for me as I'm looking at all that God's accomplished, especially the last three years, is to see the foundation that my family built 28 years ago. Even though All God's Children was, was formed out of the adoption of my youngest sister, from the very beginning, my parents um, and family had this vision and mission of not only placing children into families through adoption, but really looking at how could we strengthen families yeah. that were on the brink of dissolving. And so really throughout, I'd say, the last 25 years mm -hmm. up until that point, we had done a lot of things um, surrounding family preservation. Um, we had done some work with kids aging out. Um, it was, I think, the big change about three years ago was really our intentionality of bringing different pieces of the work that we had done for many years, but bringing it together in a really clear plan of, of where we believed God was taking the organization and the ministry and the work that we were believing God for. And that has, I would say, in my entire time at All God's Children, the last three years has been um, the absolute most miraculous from what I have seen accomplished. That's amazing. That's so cool. And with that, in those last three years, what has, do you think, it's been incredibly beautiful. That's the biggest part about it. But what do you think has been the most challenging piece of that? You know, I'd say at the beginning, we kind of, we, we had this vision and felt like God was leading us down this path of first and foremost, doing what we've always done in, in preserving families, preventing children from every, ever entering institutions. Mm -hmm. But an intentional change that we made was really in how we were elevating care. Um, we always had orphanages that we were known for for like two decades called Hannah's Hope. Mm -hmm. And in these orphanages, there was exceptional care. And I would say it was something that when you said all God's children people almost simultaneously thought Hannah's hope. And so three years ago, what we believe God was calling us to do was really go away from running an orphanage, which we really, it, it was what we knew how to do yeah. well, because he was really calling us to 
look at the larger number. We know that there's an estimated 8 million children living in institutions today. And we were faced with the reality that our impact through that, that method and model of Hannah's Hope was really only affecting hundreds of kids. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at millions. And so what we changed, which I would say at the time was was a little bit scary yeah. because anytime you change something from what you've done and know and then believing God for some huge impact number, um, but we really said, no, we're going to really believe God to bring that type of care to an entire country because every child deserves to be known and loved and receive the, the care they need so that their, their souls stay intact mm -hmm. and that they, so they can thrive. Yeah. And what we found was as we were working on preserving families and elevating care and placing children into families through adoption, when we were really focused on that aging out population, what we found time and time again was even though we were there with the support and the resources, to give to these children because of the lack of care that they were receiving in the institutions. We had kids that were 15, 16, 17 that were mm -hmm. stunted cognitively at right. 8, 9, and 10. And so even with the resources and support, really hard to kind of break that yeah. cycle and give them a path to independence. And so really looking at how we elevated care mm -hmm. on a large scale became a, a, a big focus area for us. I love that. I love what you said about keeping their souls intact. Like that's such a beautiful visual. Um, and I think that really just encompasses everything that All God's Children is trying to do um, moving forward. That's I love that. That's amazing. Um, and for you personally, I know this is, it's not easy. There's so many parts, but it's also, there's a huge reward in seeing and being a part of that. Um, how has it impacted your life? if you are okay to expand on that a little bit? Well, I'd say first on just um, the impact of watching God do the miraculous. And I say that in specifically in the country of Colombia. Um, right now, we have leaders in their child welfare that are rewriting guidelines mm -hmm. for how all children in the country are cared for. Yeah. That's 120,000 kids. Um, so from that perspective, um, I would say the impact of the work, just the energy it gives me and how that feeds my soul of knowing um, that really large-scale change is yeah. coming for these kids is incredible. Um, from a personal perspective as far as family and husband and children, I'm a mom of four, ages 10 to 20. Um, three are still in the house. Um, so, you know, when you're leading an international organization, it does put you, you know, on the road yeah. quite a bit. And so I'd say the last few years, one of the impacts has been the amount of time I've had to step away from um, just the day-to-day -day of family. So at times that's been a challenge of Definitely. making sure that I find the balance. Um, being a child, when my parents founded All God's Children, mm -hmm. um, there were moments where I felt that same impact and pull of why aren't my parents here right. and so that's always been a priority for myself and Doug my husband that our kids always know they are the top priority so um 
at times, I'd say the last couple of years, I've had to have some checks and balances on that. Definitely. It's been a challenge and an impact, but it's also been really neat to get to bring my kids into the mission and work. And I've traveled with them to Africa and South America. And so um, also really neat to see their hearts touched for the work. Emma says to me all the time, Mom, I want to help orphans one day when I grow up. And so I'm also seeing God's hand and covering on their lives and how he is, um, yeah, start starting to maybe plant seeds in their lives of what he has for them. That's so cool. I love, like, also hearing how your kids are really taking that to heart, too, and it's important to them also just by watching you. That's really incredible. I think that's amazing. Um and how have you yourself with what you've experienced um, and just the challenges, the beautiful parts of it too, um, how have you seen yourself evolve throughout all of this or change maybe? Yeah, you know, the biggest evolution probably for me was because I've had such longevity here at AGCI, mm-hmm. I probably, if you looked organizationally, I've probably at one time or another worn 70% of the hats before um, except like having this role of of president. And it's funny because when the board originally asked me to take this position, I said no three times because I've always been the doer. Like I've always been a head down, detail, like get the job done person. And so I'd say one of my own evolutions was really stepping into this role. You do have to step up and out, which I think probably I'm going on 10 years now in this this role within AGCI, but I bet it took me three to four to actually feel like like I knew or felt like even semi-confident in yeah. what I was doing right. because it was such a drastic change from being the one to actually do the work, to stepping up and out and leading vision forward. Yeah, it sounds like God kind of called you out of that for a reason um, and asking you to like step into all of this. I've definitely had experiences like that too. Yeah, and they're always scary, aren't they? they Like it's never something that you just, at least for me too, personally, like nothing that was ever on like a checklist of what I wanted to do one day or accomplish one day. And um, definitely stepping into it, a lot of fears of Mm -hmm. what if I fail? What if all God's children doesn't make it? Because really right at the time where I stepped into this role was a really hard time for international adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, Right around 2008 is when the Hague Convention came into being in the United States. And over that next two to three years, we started to see what became the steep decline of inter-country adoption. What is the Hague Convention? For those that might not know. Yeah, the Hague Convention is a treaty, an international treaty of where countries sign best practices for adoption of children. And so what happened at that time, a lot of countries signed the treaty mm-hmm. without having the proper infrastructure to ensure best practices, okay. which closed countries overnight. Wow. And so what we ended up kind of walking through as an organization was what we were at that point, 90% of our funding came in through adoption fees for service. Okay. 10% of our our revenue was um, like donor-based income, people that were 
giving to the mission of AGCI. And so what we did was we were always able to take the adoption fees and they funded our orphan care work. And so everyone knew All God's Children as an adoption agency that did great orphan care. Well, when the decline started, which today, well, 2007, 24,000 children were being adopted internationally. Last year, it was barely over uh, 4,000, and that was with Ethiopia still open. So I'm predicting this year it'll be 3,000-ish. And so at that point, seeing like being 90% adoption funded, we really had to like change how we were communicating the work that we were doing because we were doing the work. We just never really had to intentionally talk about the work we were doing. And so that's really, as I stepped into this role, that was the challenge. And then the focus was how do we start retelling the story and the impact of the work of all God's children so that we could be here 10 years later Mm -hmm. and impacting hundreds of thousands of kids. Right. And I think for people to fully understand that impact too, um, you were telling me earlier about your first trip to Bulgaria and just the silence that you heard when you walked into the room. Um, Can you maybe expand? It could be that moment or a separate experience too that really like kind of made you stop in your tracks or shook you or impacted you in a way that just lit the fire for a lot of, for everything that you're doing today. You know, it's funny because I actually do have a moment and it was probably four years ago okay. before we set this this vision for where we're, where we were going to go for the next 10 years. And we took a year and we were really in prayer about God. If we're stepping away from running children's homes, what does this work look like? Where do you want us focused? How do we do this? And so it was during that time, because up until then, you would have said we're an orphan care ministry, but as far as how we were approaching the problem of children living outside of family care, um, we we did different community projects. We were kind of, I would say now, all over the place in some of the, the programming that we were sure. doing. But I took this trip to Haiti, and I walked into an orphanage in Haiti, and it was literally identical to walking into that orphanage in Bulgaria. Um, At that point, it would have been like 16 years earlier. I don't know. No, 20, almost 20 years earlier. And it was ceiling to floor, three cribs stacked up high, this room full of children, totally silent. Kids were despondent. There was one little boy who was nine, and he looked about the size of a three-year-old. He was in the only crib that didn't have cribs on top of it because he was under a window. And I, I looked down at him, and I watched him take his hand and just put it through the slats of the crib next to him. And he got the skin of the little girl that was laying there despondent next to him. And the minute his fingertips touched her arm, his eyes rolled back into his head. And he got this faint smile on his face. And I remember standing in that room four years ago and going, God, I have been like doing this work day in and day out for almost 20 years. And how am I still walking into rooms like this and seeing this despair. And I would say in that moment is when really like this 
new passion was really ignited in me to say, I feel like I still could have another 20 years in me to really fight this fight and be a voice for the voiceless and really like see 8 million children, that number decrease in my lifetime. And so leaving that trip is really when some of the vision of the work we're doing today, I feel like got cemented in my heart. And really looking at um, the work we're doing today in policy, which we had never really intentionally looked at policy, but um, it was on that trip as well that just in a like unintentional conversation about work we had done in Bulgaria years earlier and how we were able to influence child welfare policy, um, I walked away from that trip and thought, gosh, if we did that in Bulgaria accidentally, what could we do if we were intentional about the relationships and voice we took? And that really is how we can have our largest impact um, and scalability of strong programming for children is through policy. So that, I'd say definitely that trip for me was um, was a fire that got lit. That's so cool. Wow. And for those that are listening even who, let's say they have a moment like that where, you know, they've been doing something, they feel like they've answered their call for however many years, and there's a point where it just feels like, is this enough? Like, is this where I'm meant to be? Am I doing what God had planned for me in the first place? And obviously paths can take so many different turns, but what advice would you give to someone who maybe is in that same moment or is just starting or all of the above, who is looking to pursue their call in that way? Well, you know, there's been so many books written on it, but truly the word that comes to my mind to answer that question is grit. I mean, we know Satan doesn't want us to follow paths that the Lord lays out for us in our lives. And so doubt and fear, and when adversity comes, any of us at any time can look at that and and either go, oh, God's just closed the door, and I'm going to turn this way and open another one. And sometimes God truly does close the door. But I think um, my advice would be really be thoughtful and prayerful on on making those decisions. Like, is it a closed door or is the, are, are you scared? Are you fearful? Yeah. And then really look at um, that grit piece. Because it does, I will say, this is hard work. Like all the joys of what we've seen, I could tell you on the same side of all the countless trials and the sleepless nights. And um, yeah, it's hard. And it it would be, I can say it many times in my life over, I, well, and really, quite honestly, probably for the first 13 years, if you would have asked me, or 15 years, I would have, if you said, what do you want to do? I would have said, I'm tr- I want to be home with my kids. Mm-hmm. Like I always wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And even at All God's Children, I always had a plan in the back of my head. I'm going to work one more year and then stay home with my kids. All of a sudden, I, I about five years ago, went, <laughs> you know, God's really covered my kids. And, and they're kind of grown up now. And, and really, I'd say it was just about five, six years ago that I, I submitted to his plan in my life more so than what my goals and thoughts were. And so I just think keeping God's plan always out in front of us and then having having the grit to push through even when it's really hard, but that is how God grows us, yeah. not only in purpose, but more importantly in our faith. Right. I get this image too of 
I don't know, like when things like that happen, when you feel like you keep running into closed doors, I've like always had this feeling like, what if like this door is meant to be knocked down Mm -hmm. in a way? Like maybe it's not God who shut it or is keeping it closed. Um, I think there's a real, there's real beauty in like standing in front of a door like that, maybe in those moments and asking yourself and asking God, like, do you need me to kick this down right now? Totally. And in one of the the stories that comes to my mind on that, Mm -hmm. I kind of shared how, you know, international adoption took this deep, steep decline simultaneously as I kind of entered this new position of president. um, We had about a period of three years that was really hard. Um, We're losing money every month. Our reserves started to go down to almost nothing. And by accreditation standards, we have to hold reserves. So it was a really stressful time where I would say I probably had about a two-year period where every night I woke up at, you know, the witching hour of 2 to 3 a.m. and just panicked and so fearful. What happens if all God's children closes? What are we going to do? We have so many families adopting. Um, and I remember I made these scripture cards on fear for myself. And so I'd wake up every night. I'd go downstairs, turn on the light. I'd just read these scriptures on on fear and trusting the Lord and then try to go back to sleep. And it was a long period, and I mean, it. And I, if you would have asked me, I would have said, "I'm. Tr- I trust God," which I, I did mentally. <laughs> but yeah. when you're waking it up at different. three <laughs> o'clock in the morning, clearly there's a disconnect between your head and your heart. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward two years later, it really we were down. I remember we had just had a board meeting, and I had just said to the board, "Do we need to start like looking at a closure plan?" Mm-hmm. Like, we were there. And I remember the board saying, well, you still have X dollars in the bank. And so kind of going, okay, but do you get it? Like, no, we have to know what we're looking at. Well, I went to church that um, that weekend. And I remember it was this sermon that I have to go back and find it. But the, the premise was it was right after Jesus fed the multitudes and the disciples got in the boat and they were in the storm. And the pastor focused on that Jesus that at first they were fearful, thought Jesus was a ghost, but he focused on that Jesus was passing them by. I think it's the version in Matthew, and it talks about how Jesus was passing them by. And basically his point was they had to see him in the storm. Jesus wasn't coming into the boat to save them. They had to see him. And even though they'd just seen him perform the miraculous— they still were fearful and didn't believe he could walk on that water to them. But they had to invite him into the boat for the storm to stop. And I don't know the combination of the sermon and the praise and worship after. I remember sobbing in church that night, just sobbing and going, God, my heart hasn't been with my head, but I have such peace right now. And I walked away that night, and I remember the next morning my husband looking at me and going, what's your plan? What's your plan? And for the first time, I looked at him and said, I don't know, but I slept like a baby last night, and I am at peace with wherever God wants me to go. And um, sure enough, two days later, we start the mornings out with prayer, and we were in a prayer meeting, and someone called, and someone came and got me and said, hey, there's someone on the phone for you. I didn't know the person, didn't know the name. And I went up to my office, and this person on the other line says, I know this is going to sound really strange, but the last two weeks, 
God's been leading me and nudging me to pick up the phone and call you and ask if you have a financial need. And so in that moment, I'm thinking, don't sound desperate, don't sound desperate, (laughs) don't sound like a sinking ship. So I start sharing that it had been a hard quarter, and this is really amazing because um, we've really had a, a hard year. And anyway, after that phone call, um, well, as we closed it, the individual said, well, I just want you to know I just put a check in the the mail. I just wrote the check for $70,000. And, um, and then that family gave additional funds for the next, like, two wow. months. And I will tell you that, Maddie, for me, if ever there's a mountaintop moment in my life, that was it. Because I remember driving home that day in my car, just tears streaming down my eyes and just going, if like all the worry, all the uncertainty, if God can clearly speak to someone I don't even know to call and and support AGCI like that, then where is, you know, faith like a mustard seed? Like, anyway, it was such, in my life, that is definitely a moment where God's hand and love and just purpose was so revealed to me. And from that day forward, all God's children, like, did a complete U-turn financially. And so I will tell you as a, a leader today, I can look back now on that time and how hard it was and all the lost sleep and uncertainty and thousand emotions and say, God had me, I believe, walk through that um, desert so that I would never, ever, ever not know that it all is Him. And so that's why I think today in anything we do as a ministry and organization serving children, that is so cemented in my heart that it has to be His. Because if it's His, no one's going to come against us, and we're going to win for children. And so that definitely was a pivotal, I'd say, moment in just my journey as a leader, but also my faith walk. Yeah, I think there's so much to be said about inviting Jesus into your plans in that way. Um, and I think that's where a lot of you know heroes' journeys almost start, like a classic example of that, of just of that that scripture of inviting him into the boat. And it just takes that courage that— one, just those five seconds of bravery to accept that. Um, it's so cool to hear how, like, once you did that, just everything fell into place in that way. That's amazing and so beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. and it's really been neat to see just even in the short four years of, you know, since really, well, not since that moment, but in the last four years since we really kind of had that moment in Haiti. Right. Um just seeing as we went to our very first focus region, which was South America, we decided to put our first child advocacy center in the city of Bogota, Colombia. And in the last three years, just watching the impacts that um, our support, I mean, we have this mission and vision of empowering local leaders to intervene for children living in institution by creating paths to family and independence. And in the last three years, the Lord has opened such doors to where we've been at the table talking about changes to adoption laws that have happened now in Colombia. Three years ago, if a child entered a, a government-run institution, there wasn't a single law or policy that required a judge, a social worker, a lawyer, 
anyone to actually process that child's paperwork. And so they had a generation of kids that literally languished because of that. We worked two years on those adoption laws, and last year they passed a law that says if a child enters an institution, the, the, the government workers, they have six months to make a decision on that child's situation, whether they go back to a family member or if they can be placed on the adoption registry. And, and that I will say, there's not a, a law that I know of around the world that is that child-centered. Mm-hmm. And so we've watched God do that. We were able to re, like actually write laws that allowed for a transition home for older kids that are aging out mm-hmm. um, so that they didn't have to live with kids zero to three, but they, they could actually transition into adulthood right. with support systems around them so that they could learn how to cook and study and manage money so that they weren't just at 16 or 17 popped onto the streets, no, never skills, cooking, yeah. never cleaning, never managing a dime. And we wonder why the cycle just continues. And so um, we were able, it took again like a year and a half and we passed the laws that allowed for the, this transitional home to open. We opened the very first one um, with the agreement with the government that we really want it to be scalable. And so already a boy's home now has been opened and others are joining to actually open these homes around the country so that children now have an avenue to independence where they didn't have that three years ago. So it's just been neat to see, along with now these guidelines that are being in the midst as we talk, they're being rewritten, and the leader in Colombia who's rewriting those right now, she just um, went through a practitioner training in March for... um, the Karen Purvis Institute for Child Development, they have their trust-based relational intervention um, model that we've worked with adoptive parents in that model for many, many years. It's called TBRI. But this leader in Columbia went through the practitioner training. So now she's rewriting those guidelines from that trauma-informed standpoint, which is massive. Like right. who I would have never dreamed in all my life to see all of these impacts happening for kids in like this short amount of time in and one that's, place. That's that's what I think like needs to happen when you take in when you make it more child centered, like you were saying, and it's about the care and the quality of care, and that just that changes everything when the laws are written. And it's, it's so just cool. neat to see God's um, who God's putting in places of mm-hmm. power right. and leadership because it really does take you know the right leader. And I've had people ask me, well. You know, that's just Colombia, but what about all these other countries? And and I always say, you know, this is why being in a country for many years, I don't know when those kind of changes will come to a country of Burundi, for example, or X, Y, or Z. But I do know that God's placing us there, and we're working with governments, and we're working with our leadership on the ground. And when and if that time does come, we're there with those relationships and our hands are open to saying, God, use us to be a voice for kids. And to kind of wrap it up here, even just to send the audience off with an idea of, with all of that just said, like where AGCI is headed, um, specifically in that direction of changing laws, of creating more um, opportunities for children in Colombia, like all that has just happened. Where is... AGCI going? What is next for us, for you? Um, What would you like people to know about that? Well, so we've started this First Child Advocacy Center in 
Bogota, Colombia, and really looking at prevention, elevated care, adoption, um, aging out support, and then policy changes. This next year, we're taking that same intervention model and opening our second advocacy center in the country of Ethiopia. And so what that will look like and what we're we're looking at doing is opening um, a home where all of that work will be coming out of. So um, really with a large in, like emphasis on reunification of children with family because we are finding that there are 600,000 kids living on the streets of Addis Ababa alone, and many of them do have family in other regions but don't have any path to that family. And so we really want to look at how can we strengthen that prevention piece and then um, really look at how do we scale domestic adoption within the country of Ethiopia since international adoption is closed, Mm -hmm. Um, and then the aging out support for kids. So we're really looking at all of that work but doing it out of one location within Ethiopia. So that is exciting as we head into next year. That's amazing. And for you personally, what are you looking forward to? Whether that's home things or AGCI related, what are you excited about? You know, I'm just excited to see what God does. Like, honestly, Maddie, I'm just, <laughs> I'm at a place where it, just being able to look forward to the vision and say, okay, God, show us how big you are because we know you are in that year of that, that prayer year, the I heard, I think it was Jossie Chakra say in a in a seminar, he he made the statement, people should know the size of our God through the size of our vision. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And so that's been an anchor, like like vision for me. And so as we look into next year, I think personally I'm just excited for people to continue to see the size of our God. That's we wonderful. serve a big God who can do the miraculous even today. Yeah. Well, That's amazing. I'm excited too, just for everything we have going on. Um, Thank you again for being here today and just for letting me ask you these questions to expand on this. I know um, for everyone that isn't totally familiar yet with just the magnitude of what we're doing, it's such a great opportunity to show them and to talk about it. So thank you for telling your story, for helping me tell the story of AGCI. It's been so great to have you here today, Holland. Thank you so much, Maddie, for having me. Of course. (laughs) That was the president of All God's Children International, Holland Frazier. I can relate so much to the feelings of being overwhelmed and initially frustrated with the current state of the system, as Holland talked about in the beginning of her story. But what comes through even more clear to me in her message is just how big our God is. He often calls us to be a part of something so much bigger than we ever could have imagined. With a big God comes a big vision, and it's just so apparent in the work he calls each of us to do if we have the courage and faith to say yes, even when we don't see how it's possible. Thank you again for tuning in today. If you enjoyed what you heard, you don't have to wait for the next episode to be released. Head over to our YouTube channel for more stories and messages of hope and faith. If you have ideas for future episodes or just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at together at allgodschildren.org. On a final note, it really is a privilege to be able to reach out to you, especially during these uncertain times. We're grateful to be a part of your work-from-home routine these days, whatever it might look like. Maybe you've had to get creative with your standing desk setup in your living room, or maybe you've run out of games and crafts for your kiddos to keep them busy. 
If you're me, you had to set up your podcast equipment on the floor of your closet because it's the most soundproof place in your house. Or maybe you're just feeling the anxiety of it all. Just know you're not alone. There is a God who is much bigger than all of us. Don't forget, we're in this together. <laughs>